Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoone. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hi, my friends. It's me, Nicole. I've tried recording this intro 10 times, I'm not kidding, and it's hard. I've just got to share that with you right now, and this is going to be the one that sticks because I'm not doing it again. I recorded this amazing episode about a week before the Boulder shooting. This introduction is being recorded a few days after the Boulder shooting. I am shaken. I am emotional. This is unscripted, obviously. I might cry. Be ready for that. I feel guilty moving about my everyday normal life. I might go ski today. It feels wrong. But at the same time, we can't stop. We can't stop ourselves moving forward. And I feel the power that is coming from the emotion that's just been racking me in my waking moments and in my sleep for the last few days. I feel that change needs to happen. Today you're gonna hear from Casey. You gotta listen all the way to the end on this one because she talks about something really important that she calls your big work. I feel like in life we are all called to do some kind of big work. And big doesn't have to be you know, being the president of an organization or the country or whatever. It can be whatever big work means in your life. Every time a mass shooting happens, I feel sadness deep in my heart. I feel empathy. I want to cry. And then I push it down because it can take over. And eventually I move on. And I hate to admit that, but that's how it's happened for me. So three days ago, when an active shooter was gunning 10 people down to their deaths in the King Supers grocery store where Tim Wilder and I shopped multiple times a week for five plus years, it just robbed me. I don't live in Boulder anymore, but we didn't move away because we were afraid for our lives. We moved away because we were ready for a new chapter. Boulder is where I built and nurtured and developed community for 25 years. I'd walk down the street, I'd go to any store, and I just, I knew people. I felt connected, and I still do. Boulder will never be the same. The last thing you want is for your town to have a hashtag with the word strong next to it. Boulder strong. God damn it. Like, what the fuck? People, you know, why does this keep happening? That's the question, isn't it? Is that the big work? I mean, nobody listening, none of you, want to be afraid for your lives when you go out shopping for groceries. The other day, while it was happening, I saw that Wilder was getting messages from her friends about it. And I knew we had to tell her. And we literally sat her down and said, Wilder, do you remember in school when you did those active shooter drills? They locked things down and then you'd lock out, lock in. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, do you know why that happens? And we explained to her. We had to sit down and explain to her that somebody was in our old grocery store who probably had mental health issues and that person was possibly harming other people. That's the last thing you want to tell a nine-year-old. It's the last thing you want to tell anybody. I think about those 12 and 13-year-old girls who were there with their dad who was getting a vaccine and they watched the woman in front of them get shot. What do you think their life looks like now? What do you think their life is going to be? They're screwed. (sighs) You can't take that away. You can't erase that reality. That wasn't a dream. That happened to them. 
I was fortunate enough to sit on a panel with this amazing man named Austin Eubanks a couple years ago. He was getting to run, uh, getting ready to run for for office. He had started an addiction recovery clinic, and he was a Columbine survivor. He watched his best friend die. He himself was shot, and during and after the ordeal, became addicted to drugs because. He was trying to escape. And even with all the successes that he had and the path he was able to carve, the demons came back. He ended up overdosing last year. This stuff doesn't go away. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm starting to feel called to do something here. I'm just so disgusted by what's happened in our world where these shootings occur and nothing changes. Go back and listen to my episode with Megan Bigelow, who lost her son and almost her own life and another son's life, when a mentally ill man who owned a gun, why did he have a gun? Why was he allowed access to a gun? Shot them in cold blood in a parking lot. Because he was mad that she was moving in front of him in the car because an ambulance was coming down the road. I mean, who does that? Here's the thing. Mental illness is a real issue and it can be treated. And sometimes it's not successful and sometimes people can successfully walk this world. And I know that and it's deep and it's complex and it's, it's complicated I can't answer the, I can't say that treating all mental illness will stop these mass shootings. I'm not even sure that that's what the motive is for all of them. But I do know that when people are mentally ill and untreated, that their heads can go into places where they become a person that they were not born to be. But what I do believe is true and positive is that we can stop easy access to guns like the assault rifle that the man in the Boulder shooting used. I don't think that people should be able to gain access to those, even if they're not mentally ill. (laughs) Why do you need an assault rifle walking around town? (sighs) I don't know what the answer is, folks but I'm starting to feel called to help because I don't want it to happen again and again and again and again. I'm going to leave you with that thought today. Please send me a note. If nothing else, just send me a note that, that you care. <laughs> I'm Nicole at NicoleDeBoom.com. I'm going to move us on now because we need to change the We need to change the mood to something a little more positive. We need to know that even when this tough stuff happens, we can feel the way we're feeling. But there is light somewhere. And that people can come out of situations that, you know, could lead to their death. Like Casey Griegel, today's guest, who is diagnosed with breast cancer. And you can come out of of these diagnoses, these difficult times in your life with a greater appreciation for who you are and the big work you're meant to do. Casey, as I mentioned, is a naturopathic doctor. She focuses on women's endocrinology and GI issues, which is a hot topic for sure, especially in the world of women's hormones, which by the way, you can hear that I'm emotional. I'm always emotional these days. Because I think I'm entering the perimenopause time of my life and my hormones are going wacky. Someday I'll have to get Tim on and he can speak to to any changes he's seen because it's kind of hard to see him yourself. Um, We talk a little bit today about the work she does. We spend a lot of time talking about her breast cancer journey, which is, you know, she said it's like it's bizarre. It's kind of crazy, and some of the little details that I hadn't heard before are really interesting. Um, And the fact that you can get out there and advocate for yourself is a really important thing to know and remember in all that you do in your life. Casey has a master class, which some of you may be interested in. It, um, It has to do 
with everything female hormone related, especially within the topic of adrenal fatigue, which happens during the menopause years. And if you're younger and listening, or if you're a guy and listening, then just don't take the masterclass or take it because then you can understand what other people in your life are going through. Um, but this doesn't mean you need to hang up right now and stop listening. This, this uh, episode has messages that are important for everybody to hear. So my friends, if you need to take a break right now, do it. Recover yourself. Hit pause. Hit pause and send me an email, Nicole at NicoleDeBoom.com. I really want to hear from you. And then when you're ready, come back and hit play. You need to hear this conversation with Casey Griegel. Casey, you're looking amazing, like literally sort of glowing through the screen. Not actually what I would expect, which kind of sounds bad, but it's true based on the journey that you're currently on. So welcome to Run This World. Thank you so much. It's so much fun to get to be here with you. You know, I'm going to open us right up with what's going on in your life right now. And I just alluded to it by saying like, you look way better than I thought you would. (laughs) (laughs) as crappy as I expected. Yeah. Which is actually kind of a cool thing. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great if everyone walked around going, wow, you look better than I thought you would. Um, It's kind of like a nice surprise, right? So you're in the middle of a journey you did not expect to find yourself on, especially with you know, the, the line of work you do and the priorities you have in your life on health and fitness. So let's talk about it. What's going on? Well, so, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer last fall, fall of 2020. Um, and when I was diagnosed, um, you know, you sort of find out more and more as the process goes on. But what I've, you know, gone through is that, you know, first we had to do some surgery to take out the tumor. Um, You find out that, you know, if you find out later about what the tumor actually looks like, and because of what mine looked like, we decided to do some chemotherapy. So I just finished up with that about four weeks ago, and I'll be heading into radiation um, here at uh, the beginning of April. So pretty soon. Okay. So I need a little education on, um, you know, the different types of breast cancer that is like you mentioned, yeah, I was diagnosed and then I had a tumor and then we got to see what it looked like. What I don't understand. You have to fill me in a little more on what that all means. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, and this may be of interest to, to everybody when you, um, So when you go in for your mammogram every year, which for me, I actually felt a lump and I'll just, you know, kind of divert to say, you know, it's something that I found myself and being someone who has felt lots of breasts in my time, because I've done lots of breast exams on my patients. um, It did not feel like what they teach us to know as breast cancer. So that's, I think, pretty notable. Because, you know, what you're always looking for is something that's hard and something that's fixed and won't move. And for me, it was not hard. It was not fixed. It was just different. And it gave me a stomach ache when I felt it and thought, oh, what is that? So I've, you know, booked my own mammogram. And when you go in for the mammogram, you know, they take a look. If there's something there, then they do an ultrasound and, um, and then they will biopsy it where they, you know, stick a needle into there and they, and they take out some tissue and find out about it. And for me, um, you know, we found that there was just this one lump there. Um, it was the most common type of cancer, which is called invasive ductal carcinoma. Um, and it's so it's sort of like run of the mill garden variety breast cancer, if you will. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that um, I will mention is that being diagnosed for breast cancer and going through breast cancer therapy is goofy. It's really bizarre because you have to do all these crazy things. Like, you know, after I was diagnosed, they send you in for an MRI and um, you go in and you lay 
in this giant tube and it's like you're getting a massage. They put these, you know, headphones over your ears like you're getting, you know, getting to listen to some good rock and you're going to get a massage except you lay face down and there are these two holes that your boobs just hang right down into. Oh my God. I've never heard about this before. I know the MRI with the boob holes. So we, you get to do that. So you get to learn lots about what's going on in there. Um, and then, you know, you go and, you know, I received genetic counseling and genetic testing to find about out what was going on for me specifically. Um, and that guides, you know, how you're going to treat it. Um, and then from there, um, you know, for me, what was appropriate was to schedule surgery. And um, so for me, I had what was called a lumpectomy, um, which is where they just take out the lump. They don't take off your, the whole breast. Um, And so that's what I elected to do um, because it was appropriate for my specific situation. Um, and then when they take the lump out, what they do is they take a look at it. They actually look at the genes in the tumor because they're different than my genes and they give you a score and they say, you know, on a scale of one to a hundred, you know, this is what your genetics look like in this tumor. And, um, you know, there are breakoff points for how much, um, you know, for how much benefit you would receive from chemotherapy. And because I'm young, I'm 44 or I was 44. Now I'm 45. Um, because I'm young, that their threshold for whether you should have chemotherapy is lower um, in terms of the scoring of that tumor. So if I were five years older, I would not have gone through chemotherapy. But because of my age, um, they decided this is, you know, this gives enough potential benefit, you know, statistically, that it makes some sense to do it. Okay, so... I'm definitely learning some things about the process that I I've known many people who've been through a breast cancer journey. Most of the women that I know have survived. Um, but I wonder, you know, when you first, you said you had a stomach ache when you first like felt it, like something wasn't right. Is that what you, you were kind of like, Oh my God, this isn't good. And you went in and how, like, tell me about when they, when they actually told you that it was cancer, what went through your mind? Yeah. So, um, and I would say another surreal part of this journey was, was that time because, um, it's really funny. I, I got a phone call and this very chipper woman was on the other end. And she said to me, she said, hi, Casey, this is so-and-so from so-and-so's office. I can't remember the names. And I just wanted you to know that it was just like the doctor thought you have an invasive ductal carcinoma. It was like this really super like peppy way. Oh my God. <laughs> and it was so disjointed from like the emotion that I felt around it, that it, 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 like, it, it took me a beat to figure out what she was actually saying to me. And wait, um, she and said it on the it was on the phone. Yeah. She just gave me a call and I know she said other things after me to like after that to me, but I don't actually remember <laughs> what they were. <laughs> um, and I was, I was by myself when I got that news, but I went directly to my husband who's, you know, who has been just such an amazing support to me through all of this. I, you know, it, it's been invaluable. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really reframes everything. You know, I think when, I think maybe <laughs> they should have some kind of strategy where once they deliver the big news, they don't actually say anything else because you're going to miss everything that comes after that sentence. That's true. Right? You're not going to hear a thing after that. So, I mean, were you just like, did you just go to a whole different plane? Like, what does this mean? Am I like, did they tell you on the phone Were they like, Oh, your, your chances of survival are really good, blah, blah, blah. Or, I mean, how did you respond in the next few minutes here? Where did you go? Well, they didn't really say much, um, beyond, you know, that sort of like, well, you're going to go do X, Y, and Z after this to find out more. Um, it was shocking for sure. Although because of, you know, what I'd been thinking about up until then, it wasn't necessarily all that surprising. 
you know, when they brought me in for a biopsy, you know, I, you kind of have an idea of where things are going. Um, but I do remember that, you know, we sort of, we just left the house, we went to a trail and we just got on the trail and started walking just so we could process together. And that was, um, that was really an important moment for us to go. And I have to say it, it sort of um, became the theme for the next several months, which was, um, Casey's husband taking Casey for walks <laughs> all the time, every day. No like you're what. the family pet. I mean, <laughs> yes. but you know, it also sort of foreshadowed one of the tools that has really helped you through this, which is exercise. Absolutely. Yeah. And it makes sense that, you know, it started without you actually thinking about it that way. Um, you've got two kids. I do. At very impressionable ages, what, 11 and 12? That's right. So how did you talk to them about this news? You know, that was the hardest part of all of this is my first thoughts were not about like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get through this? What's going to happen? My first thought was, I just don't want to put my family through this. And it was, that was heartbreaking to me. Um, so with my kids, you know, once I, once I found out more about what was actually, I waited until I knew a little bit more about what prognosis looked like and what tr the treatment was going to look like. So I could have a conversation with them that had parentheses around it to tell them about, you know, what is, what's going to happen here looking forward. And for me, I was really fortunate because especially, um, you know, especially doing the chemo, um, you know, it takes my chances of recurrence down to, you know, less than 2%. And so the, it, it gave us the opportunity to have a very upbeat tone to this conversation. Wow. Okay. And so they, it, it maybe did it help? I don't know. Was it a little more of like a clinical discussion than an emotional discussion? It sounds like that's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, there were emotions for sure, but I was able to give them enough information that we could all, you know, like I said, just put it, put it in a perspective that sounded, that sounds okay. And, yeah. you know, no matter what your, no, no matter what the prognosis is, no matter what the diagnosis is, that ability for me to have that conversation was, um, was such a relief, you know, it relieved so much anxiety for me to have that conversation with them. Having that conversation with my parents was really tough. Um, but just knowing that, you know, now we all know, now we can all move together and we can be a team. Yeah, I think um, we build up a lot of anxiety around hard conversations, mm -hmm. and they're almost never as bad as we build them up in our heads. And when That's we're done, right. it's like you you release the dam. You know, <laughs> you can you can just flow and be together in it. So I I think uh, it, it says a lot about how you approached it with your kids too that you brought them into the loop and that they were part of this journey with you. Oh yeah. They've been a big part of it for sure. Especially during COVID because I mean, we are all here all the time. We are like, we have this dog that does not know how to be alone because she's never been alone. And we, you know, we were just all here together. And um, so, you know, for us to be able to shift, you know, for me to see my kids step up and be responsible and be, um, you know, just on top of things and to, to, to step in where they needed to be has just been amazing for me. For sure. You know, I think that's a really cool um, statement and lesson is that we don't often give people the opportunity to surprise us. Yeah. 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 yeah my kids have been amazing for sure. Uh, okay. So in your case, after the lumpectomy, Things were looking pretty good, but they were like, let's do chemo because you're young enough and strong enough. And if you do it, it takes your odds of re, uh, relapse down. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. So how long, tell me more about the chemo process. Um, so 
uh, <laughs> which part? So, um, you know, like the nuts and bolts of chemo is, you know, they, they give you, they're, they're going to, they do certain types of medications at certain um, intervals and for a certain amount of time. So for me, I had four rounds of chemo, which is relatively not that much. Um, the part that was the most challenging for me actually was um, managing the steroids because they give you a whole bunch of steroids to um, counteract the effect, the potential for allergic reactions to the chemo. And I actually had a lot more trouble with the steroids than I did with the chemo itself. Um, oh, well, so that's, will you talk about that a little bit? I mean, why, why steroids? So because the steroids, they decrease your immune response enough that they make it. So you, if you were to react to the chemo and like have an allergic reaction, it makes it so you don't, you know, like suffocate, right? Because wow, you can okay. go to anaphylaxis from, okay. from the chemo. But I, I didn't, I didn't have that problem, but that's why they give you the steroids. And also it, it also takes down your nausea from the chemo as well. Um, so for me, there was some real titrating and fine tuning with the steroids. Um, I had, uh, <laughs> I had a pretty profound reaction to them in my first, because they gave me a really high dose. Um, and it was enough that my, um, my veins collapsed while I was like just about to start the chemo. And so I ended up having to get a port. So I have this like lovely little piece of stuff in my, in my chest now that I'll get to get out pretty soon. Oh my gosh. Wow. So, okay. So you had a, a slightly abnormal start or I'm sure they weren't expecting that. Not optimal. Yeah. <laughs> little and then, you know, I, what I see, what you see of people going through chemo, like in movies and mainstream media and stuff is like, they go to a hospital, they get hooked up, they sit in a room with a bunch of other people and then they walk home. And when they get home after a number of days or weeks or whatever, they get really sick and they lose their hair and yep. all those things. So was that typical for you? Yeah. So let me tell you about my chemo journey, because I think it's um, something that people should know a little bit about. I was able to use something called a cold cap. And it's relatively new. Um, they use it more in Europe, but it is, you know, it's been here in the US for a little while. It's not FDA approved. So unfortunately, your insurance won't cover it. However, what it does is it's basically this crazy hat that looks like a brain that's full of antifreeze that they, you put on your head while you, you start about, you know, half an hour before you start the chemo, and then you keep using it for about 90 minutes after the chemo is done. And it is, it, what it does is it basically freezes your hair follicles. So no blood flow is going to them. So the chemo doesn't get to your hair follicles. Um, and I will tell you, it is cold. It is so cold. Like when you go, when they unplug it and you go to take the thing off, it is literally frozen to your head. So that's another, that's another funny thing about, about, uh, getting to do cancer treatment is getting my head frozen. Oh my uh, gosh. Did you, do you have any photos of that? I do. I can share oh. one with you. Oh, we got to put, we got to post one of those. Um, that's really <laughs> cool. You know, it's crazy how the U S sometimes seems a little bit behind some of the different European treatments and, and things that are approved in other countries, but I'm glad that you had access to it. Did like your eyebrows come off or any, you know, well, like, so yeah, well, okay. So you may be able to see that I do have a little bit of eyebrow left, not a ton. My eyelashes are much thinner and pretty much no hair anywhere else. Like I haven't, I haven't shaved anything since December. So wow, I have that's... Hair, on, hair on my head, but it's, that's about it. <laughs> I guess if, if you could find one benefit, it would be you saved money on razors. That's right. No razor charges. So wow, that's really, that's really interesting. Um, talk about brain freeze. Oh my God. Yeah. It's chilly. I had a friend who gave me an electric blanket before I started chemo. And that was, I literally think it saved my life <laughs> because, you know, the strategy, you know, when you're doing the chemo is, um, like to decrease blood flow to places that currently have problems. So like your digestive tract tends to have a lot of problems and your people frequently get mouth sores. So 
I would bring a frozen smoothie with me and then, you know, I'd eat that frozen smoothie and ice cubes the whole time. And I'd put my finger and it's common to get neuropathy from the chemo. So I'd put my finger in like bags of ice the whole time. And then the rest of me would be covered under an electric blanket. So I didn't just die of cold. <laughs> I mean, talk about extremes, you know? Yeah. Um, how many weeks was your chemo? Well, so 12 weeks total. Okay. Chemo. Um, and yeah, you know, we have, we mentioned a little bit earlier, you shared with me that there was one particular thing that you did throughout the 12 weeks, which you think was extremely beneficial. And that yeah, has there, were, there were several things that I did, but okay. I'm thinking you're probably alluding to exercise. I am, but I'd like to hear all of them. Yeah. Well, so in terms of the exercise, every single provider that I talked to conventional or otherwise said, you really should exercise every single day. And so I said, okay, I'm going to exercise every single day. And on the hardest days, it was me following behind my husband, like cursing and being extremely grumpy, but then still being happy at the, like that I did it at the end, like feeling better by the end. Um, when I was taking the steroids, it was me talking a hundred miles a minute and walking up mountains because it makes you do that. And then, you know, the rest of the time it was, I, I tried to at least get in a couple miles of walking every day. And then otherwise I would either hike up a mountain. I live in golden. So we've got mountains here. Um, or I'd go to the climbing gym or I'd take a ski or I'd do some yoga or, a, you know, a hit class or something. Um, just because, you know, a, it helps with detoxifying the chemo. B, it helps with your mental space. And, you know, for me, exercise is really important for my mental health. And then it also, you know, I wanted to leave chemo not feeling so debilitated that I, you know, couldn't get back to where I wanted to be. So a little, almost a bit of a general maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but with the goal being, you know, survival, it wasn't like, yeah, I'm training for a marathon while I'm going through chemo. It was just like, I'm just training for life right now. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. Um, for me, you know, I've always really enjoyed exercise. It's something that I've, I've always just loved being outdoors and doing whatever kind of adventure is there. Um, but this really um, cemented for me how critical it is to be able to move your body to maintain your mental health and to maintain, you know, just being who I am, you know, it was very important for me to, to feel like I was still that vital person that I've always been. You know, prior to cancer, what kind of athlete would you have considered yourself? Um, avid and not particularly talented. <laughs> uh, what sports did you do? Um, you know, we do a lot of rock climbing. Um, I love to backpack and hike and a lot of different, um, my husband and I met when we were living in Alaska. So a lot of winter sports I really enjoy and yoga and kind of whatever I can do. Yeah. Whatever I can get my body doing. I like it. You know, you're four weeks out of your last treatment and you just seem so like happy and normal. And like, I would never look at you and guess that you've been through this. Well, because of what I do for a living, um, I was really fortunate because as naturopathic doctors, we have all these wonderful tools for helping to help the different systems of your body just sort of regain health and get healthier. So I was able to really manage a lot of my symptoms, um, you know, different digestive issues. That's a really big one. Um, you know, different, whatever came up, I had some good tools for helping myself to correct, to course correct. And, um, I think it's really helped me in the, in the big scheme of things to, to really, you know, come back easily, you know, plus I've, I've, I've been where I've been very well cared for by my community because people brought us meals and I was able to eat really well and eat really healthy foods. 
I've been really diligent about hydration. I've been having acupuncture. Like there's all, you know, when you have something serious going on with your health, it's so critical to have a community of people who can all be together on your team. And, you know, one of the things I was really thinking about um, leading up to our conversation today was how I really feel like um, this experience for me has been like crowd surfing. Like you lean back and there's all these hands there to hold you up. And that's been really, really critical to me, just having all of those, um, you know, family members, friends, and then also my medical team be there too, to help this journey be tolerable. Has it inspired you to want to take that concept forward in a, some different format in the future? Well, I will tell you, I have been obsessed about getting this, my, the way my business is structured, um, ready to assist women going through breast cancer. Um, my history is that I've been doing endocrinology, um, naturopathic endocrinology for the past 18 years. I love working with women and working with their hormones and helping all of the things that get out of balance when our hormones are not doing the right thing. And guess what? Breast cancer treatment is not easy on your hormones. Um, it's not easy on anything in your body. And so, um, what I've been doing is um, I have this brand new shiny website that has just come out. Um, one thing that I offer is just a hormone masterclass that people can um, come and be part of, and we can all talk about how our hormones work. But what will also be on there is lots of resources for um, for women who are going through treatment. You know, my first video um, is going to be all about um how to, how to care for your digestive system and your digestive tract starts in your mouth and it goes all the way to when the food comes out and you can have trouble during any piece of that digestive process when you're going through chemo. So that's the first thing I'm going to talk about because it is, it is a big issue for everybody. So yeah, I'm really excited moving forward. You know, I will, really be working on having this community um, available to women who need those resources, you know, both for me one-on-one -on -one as a clinician, but then also utilizing classes. And then we'll have some, you know, online community as well for people. Well, and what's really cool is with your career field and which we're about to dive into here. Um, yeah. You're offering women resources and support during a specific difficult time in their lives, but what you do can carry them forward far beyond that time. So I often find that when people go through hard things, they get some kind of help for a while and then it's over and it all goes away. And that sucks too. Cause you're like, wait, that was my tribe, but now they're gone. Like, what am I doing? So, um, it sounds like that's what you're sort of setting up is more of a, a you know, holistic lifestyle, long-term approach. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the more you understand, the more we understand about how to care for ourselves and how to, again, like course correct, the easier it is for us to, you know, navigate the roads ahead. Um, in terms of, you know, how our hormones work, but how our overall body functions. Um, and especially with breast cancer, I mean, it's not something that you just get treated for and you're done. You know, first of all, for if you have a hormone sensitive cancer, like I do, you know, I will get the benefit of taking some kind of hormone blocker here for the next several years. Um, and as many, many women do. And, um, you know, we still are living in this body once treatment's done. And I certainly see women um, in my practice who they're probably not even on tamoxifen any longer, but they're still having side effects from it because their hormones came out of balance and they never have gone back. So that's something that we can really address, you know, as, as time goes on. Yes. Oh, I think that's so powerful and important. Um, before we segue, what would you say would be 
let's say three or more most important things you suggest women do when they get a cancer diagnosis? Hmm. That's a good question. So one of the things that I think is really important is to, first of all, engage your, engage your support system. Because like, like I've been talking about this whole time, the more hands you have to hold you up, the better you're going to do. And that's both from, you know, telling the people around you what's going on, but then also really getting a medical team that you feel really good about. If you have a provider that you don't feel listens to you or isn't um, saying something that you know, needs to be said, then shop around a little, see what your options are. Um, I've been really blessed because I have a great team. I've really, I've really have so much respect for the people I've worked with. But um, if you don't feel like you're getting what you need out of your healthcare experience, look around a little bit and then look for partners. You know, I have an acupuncturist who I love. I have a naturopathic doctor who I work with who has been awesome. Um, and, you know, when I can't think straight about what I need, they can. So I, I think that's the biggest thing is really figure out who who's going to be there to help you through this process. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's huge. And telling that, you know, your immediate reaction was to go for a walk with your husband and then you built up from there. But is there a sense of urgency? Like I got, I got to take care of this right now. Like I could die from this, you know, these cells could, you know, ravage me quickly. Like, do I really have time to shop around medical teams? Well, you know, in in most cases or in many cases, I'm not going to say in all cases, but in many cases, you do have a little bit of time. You know, you have at least weeks usually to figure out what you need to do. And if you don't, then then you can, you know, navigate that as well. But usually you have a little time. I will tell you, though, that that time between waiting for diagnosis and getting surgery was extremely stressful for me so much. And just the time between getting diagnosis and getting a treatment plan was so, so stressful because I just wanted to move forward. And then once I had a plan that I felt really comfortable with, then the, the anxiety eased. That makes sense. Totally. I mean, with anything in life, we yeah. hate living in the gray area. It's right. very hard. I mean, a lot of people are like, I'd rather have a bad diagnosis than not know what's wrong with me for my whole life. And I find that all the time in my, um, in my practice, because I do get so many folks who come in and they say, I've had this issue X, Y, Z. I've seen 10 different people. Everyone tells me that I'm healthy. What's going on. And, you know, a lot of the testing I do helps to sort of elucidate some of the more, um, some of the finer points of what's going on. So we can see if there's something out of balance and just getting some confirmation for people that yes, there is something out of balance that is correctable is it does so much towards, you know, helping people feel better because they have a plan, you know, they don't just right. feel crappy. They can yeah, do something. I, I totally agree. Well, let's talk about your work as a naturopath. So I'm familiar with your field of work. I've worked with some naturopaths in my life. Not everyone is. They're like, oh, those kooky people? Like, what the heck? They're not like medical doctors, so I don't know if I can believe them. Can you talk a little bit about what a naturopathic doctor does? Sure. So naturopathic doctors are... Um, so in terms of how we are educated, that probably is a good place to start. Um, we still do four years of undergraduate. We still take all of our pre-med classes. We do four to five years of, you know, doctoral work, um, learning how to be doctors. Um, usually we go into an outpatient medical field. There are some folks who work in hospitals, but usually we are an outpatient field. What distinguishes us from, you know, say your regular primary care provider is that we, um, we have some specialized training um, and some specialized 
philosophy in terms of how we approach patients. So we really try to look at people from the ground up. We try to look at what's, um, what's really underlying whatever the dysfunction is. And then we try to treat in the least invasive way possible. So if I can help you feel better by just by shifting how much you, how much water you drink or how well you sleep, then we're going to go with that. And then, but we also have a range of tools like nutrition and, you know, I do nutrition with all of my patients. We always talk about lifestyle ways that we can, you know, help to, you know, improve the body. Um, and then I use, I, I love botanical medicine. So I use a lot of herbs, um, herbal medicines with my patients and, um, you know, different types of natural supplementation, um, just to, to help the different systems of the body to get stronger. So they all work together better. It's interesting. I often find that MDs are more black and white. And here's what's interesting about our, you know, previous topic is that I find that naturopaths are much more comfortable in the gray because people come to you when they can't figure stuff out. And so you help them navigate that period. So I don't know, is that, would you say that's somewhat accurate? Well, I would say that, you know, historically my biggest referral source has been my conventional peers here in town because, you know, I love what they do. What they do is so useful and so important to people, but what I do fills in some gaps where um, conventional practice doesn't necessarily have a lot of good tools because we just, we, we philosophically work a little bit differently. You know, did it ever cross your mind to not do chemo or the traditional medical procedures for your own cancer and pursue a more natural route? Honestly, uh huh. it never did. <laughs> I'm just so curious because it's always so sucky and ironic. Like when really healthy people who, you know, have no history and put such a priority on their own health and wellness come, you know, end up being diagnosed with terrible diseases. You're like, God, that's ironic. And then you add in, oh, and she's a naturopathic doctor. Well, of (laughs) course, like the highest level of irony is like she got sick, like a serious illness. Um, So I, I, I've heard of people um, trying some different kinds of treatments that, you know, are not more Western. And I, I'm not sure if, you know, where your head went with that. So it sounds like you were like, nope, I'm going this route because I believe in both, both, you know, sides. I'm, I believe in doing what works and I believe in doing what the data shows. And for me, um, in my specific situation, it made, it makes a lot of sense. It just does. And so what I can do and, you know, and what I offer to folks is, you know, a lot of us are going through this process. It sucks. It does not feel great. It's hard on your body. And so there's a lot of great things that we can do to assist you on this journey to, to help you. So it doesn't suck as much. Yes, totally. Well, let's, um, I actually kind of want to understand your path towards, uh, being a naturopath. You said you met your husband in Alaska. Are you from there? No, I'm from Boulder. I grew up here in Colorado. (laughs) You just, you took a little sabbatical up North. Well, um, after I graduated from medical school, I went to school in Seattle. I, uh, had a residency in Anchorage. So I moved up there for a while and he happened to have a job there at the time as well. And, um, that's where we met, but it didn't call to you enough, uh, Boulder or golden was calling you back, huh? Well, yeah, my husband went to school of mine, so he's from here and, um, we loved Alaska because if you are an outdoor person, there is no better place in the world to have an outdoor lifestyle, but there is also a lot of gray weather there. So if you are used to growing up in a place where you get sunshine, a lot of the time, it's, it's a rough one. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I actually loved Alaska. We went for about a week and a half. Um, my husband was helping with this triathlon up there called the Alaska man extreme. Yes. They are. Yeah. Yes. Going up there. Uh Amazing. And we, we, uh, uh, what is the, there's this beautiful mountain. It starts with an A. I think it's a resort. It's about an hour, hour and a half from Anchorage. And Uh, that's where the room. Yes. Alaska. 
So my daughter and I took the train from Seward to Alieska in the summer when uh-huh. it was sunny. It was beautiful. It was warm. It was too warm. Yeah, actually. And uh, we just, I mean, I was wide eyed the whole time. So, but I get it. We were there during the time when, if you're talking about seasonal affective disorder, you know, it's the other, <laughs> that's the manic side of it. Right. Um, so I can understand why you came back to the happiest city in the country <laughs> and then getting the most sunshine of the year. Um, so as a naturopath, you are, you really specialize and focus on women's issues, right? And especially wanted to talk to you a little bit about hormone evolution throughout our lifespan. Sure. Yeah. So um, I certainly do have plenty of male people in my practice. Um, But in terms of my specialty, um, I do really focus on endocrinology. And, you know, I've had, I also do a lot of digestive work, which it all kind of like goes hand in hand. Um, but yeah, so mostly women in the practice. Yeah. So as we enter, you said you're in your mid forties, I'm in my late forties. I'm already starting to experience some of these lovely signs that people tell me are perimenopause. Um, you know, what can we expect here as we, as we get older? Well, so I will tell you, so if for anyone who takes the masterclass, the one thing that I kind of like flash on the screen every time I teach is the number one thing that you can do to care for yourself and your hormones in the long term is manage your stress. And I'll tell you why. Um, So first of all, the main thing that controls all of our hormones is our brain. And we have something called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And your hypothalamus is the gland that kind of tells everyone what to do. And the pituitary sort of like carries it out and tells the different organs, you know, this is what you're, you have to do right now. And if you are, if you have a ton of stress, it really messes with that whole process. And so our thyroid, our adrenals, and our reproductive hormones all are very, very responsive to different types of stressors, how much you sleep, um, and just, you know, what, what happens, you know, that you're thinking about, um, one really important piece, especially heading towards menopause is that our adrenal glands, um, are where are we, they do a lot of things, but one of the primary things that we think of them doing is supplying our stress hormones, you know, epinephrine or adrenaline and noradrenaline and cortisol. And I'm sure everybody's heard of cortisol. But what happens is as we go closer to menopause, our ovaries, which make our estrogen and our progesterone, they stop because that whole process is really dependent upon the process of ovulation. So if we're not ovulating, then we don't make estrogen and progesterone out of, out of our ovaries. And that job moves to our adrenals. So if our adrenals are sad and tired and overworked, it's like having too many telephones on your desk that all ring at once. Like they just can't do it. So if if we're stressed out and our adrenals are already tired, menopause is going to suck that much more. But if we can really think in a super proactive way about what inspires us and what feeds us. And if we can really craft our, our lives around that, then, you know, then we go through that process in a much more powerful way. I had never thought about it like that. I actually didn't realize that it, it's sort of a handoff, you know, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> ovaries done, adrenals, you're up, right? That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, Oh gosh, I had a really good question and I have just forgotten it. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's it's really important in general that, like you said, you manage your stress, but what most of us think of the word stress and we think of our jobs. Sure. You know, but are there, what are the different ways that you can manage stress in your life then? Sure. So that's... Um... That, that is the question, isn't it? Because just saying manage your stress, that's like, you know, that's, that's, it's mean, almost meaningless to say that. 
Right. So bring it on. <laughs> so um, and that's why. So one of the things I really want women to engage in is these is these thoughts about what feeds you and what drives you and then going in that direction. And the other. The, so there's two pieces. One is crafting your lifestyle to serve yourself in the sense of, you know, you need to sleep. You need to eat three meals a day, sitting down of good food. You got it. You have to sit down and you have to eat good food three times a day. You have to drink enough water and you have to move and you have to go outdoors. You know, these are like the basic things and you have to have relationships that feel good to you. So if there are relationships in your life that are really tricky, you have to move them in a way that makes them, that makes you feel better. And then the, this other piece that I really am excited about helping people develop and um, really engage in, which is something that you certainly do, is um, to really think about inspiration and what's our, and not just what inspires us, but what's our big work? What are we here for? Like, why are you here? What are you doing? And when, when you're gone, what are people going to say was your big work? And, and then if we can craft our lives thinking about what that work is, that's, that's really big. And it's, you know, there is stress in every life. Stuff happens that's hard and stuff happens that we have to manage. But if we can be moving towards something that feels big, then you're gonna always, you know, make choices that, that feel right to you. I mean, that was very well said. And, but I also think it can cause people to stop in their tracks and get stuck because they can't see what the big work is. They can't see the big things. So they go, I can't see it. I can't, I don't, I'm, I'm going to do nothing now. I'm just going to keep running in place. Right. Yeah. So how do you all do that? We how all do you chip that. away. Yeah. How do you keep chipping away at it when you're either at times of change in your life and the, the work or the purpose might be changing or right. you just literally have never been able to see it? <laughs> sure. And, you know, sometimes it's just about making small steps. And for a lot of us, you know, if you are a mom, a lot of times our big work is having great kids and it's okay to like, that's, that is huge work. If you can have children who grow up to be functional adults, that's huge. And you've done it like, that's good. And then, but not at the expense of your own self-care. And so if you're saying to yourself, you know, I'm trying to hold down all these different pieces. I need to, you know, make a living and I need to, you know, parent these people and I need to do all these things. Yeah, sure, you do. But also it's okay to, you know, take the time for yourself to keep keep rejuvenating it. And so, and so that's why I say like you need to be going outside and you need to be and you need to be moving your body and you need to be going to sleep at night at a decent time and you know, just doing all these things that help your body physiologically, like biochemically do better. Um and then and then recognizing what it is you are already doing, I think is very important. And then recognizing whatever it is that's holding you back is also mm-hmm. important. Yeah, that's and a good I, one. I was just listening to one of your other podcasts um, today and the woman you were interviewing, who I am sorry, I cannot remember the name of, um, was saying that she just had to show up to the gym and pedal. And just like each pedal made a difference. And for, and that's what it is, is, you know, each step we take, you just have to decide which direction it's going in. Do you think that getting cancer has actually allowed you to come closer to the big work you're, you're supposed to be doing in this lifetime? I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like I've always been doing stuff that I really loved and enjoyed, but I feel it's almost like the camera coming into focus on, yes, this is, this is going to really be able to 
benefit people. Yeah. I can feel that too. And I can see it in you. And thanks to the cold cap, my gosh, you look look intact, man. Um, (laughs) I'm just really grateful to, you know, be able to have you in my fold and to be part of your community and of supporters too, throughout your journey. Um, is there anything else that you think you went through in your life that helped give you the tools to handle the part of the journey you're on now that you feel is important to share? Well, so I come from a long line of um, Eastern European Jewish comedians. And, um, you know, one of my grandpas pretty much only communicated via joke. And so I would say, like, really, the, the best thing that's, that's sort of like gotten through this is just having a sense of humor, because so many of these things that you have to do, they suck, but there is definitely, you know, like the, the machine where your boobs hang down, like th- those things are funny, too. You, you know, I didn't know that about your history. And I would agree. I think that the more we can laugh about the things that are freaking asinine, you know, that we are, that we have to plod through in order to get to a finish line, um, the better off we are. We know laughter also creates some kind of endorphin, right? That's right. (laughs) Very good for you. (laughs) Well, I am going to wrap it up by asking you the final question that I ask everyone who comes on our show. And that is, if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I think that whatever, whatever brings that camera into focus for you, you know, when you look through your world and you see something that that just makes you light up just run towards that. And you'll always do right. Oh, I love that. What's that been for you? Probably, you know, probably my kids, my family. Yeah. Brings tears to your eyes, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I mean, that's what all this has been for. Yeah, I know. For them. Yep. And they're learning a lot through watching the way that you are navigating this path. Well, I'm learning a lot from them for sure. Well, keep on keeping on and we will look for your community, which is going to be starting soon. And also we will make sure that everybody listening knows how to access your masterclass. I will be definitely tuning in. I think you're starting another masterclass in May. That's right. Beginning of May. I'm also just as a celebration kind of um, emerging from our crazy world that we've been in. I'm also doing a community cleanse at the beginning of next month. So we all get to do it together. We're going to talk. There's going to be a cooking class. It's going to be my friend uh, Lily is going to be teaching a cooking class. She's amazing. So I, you can also get to that through the website. All right. Awesome. And what is the website? Uh, GoldenHolisticMedicine.com. Got it. And that'll be listed in the show notes as well. All right. Well, thank you so much, Casey, for, for tuning in today and coming, coming here with all your great energy. I really appreciate you and I'm proud of you. Oh, thank you a million. It's been so much fun. Hi, my friends. I'm back. I love this conversation. Number one, support is key. Remember that. Whenever tough things happen, reach out. And if you're on the other end, open up and receive the support that you need. I'm at Nicole at NicoleDeBoom.com. I want to hear from you. I want to know that you're there and that you support me. I know there are thousands of you. Email me. I don't care. I'll try to respond to every single person. I also want to ask you to consider and really think about what is the big work that you were meant to do in this life. I'm definitely thinking about that myself. All right, everyone. You know, in times of pain and suffering, you can't forget to keep moving. It's really important. So you know what time it is, everybody. It's time to get out there and run this world. 
Have a great workout. I'll see you next week.